BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, Minneapolis is on fire. I mean, literally still on fire. A lot of dimensions, a lot of pieces to this story that I want to touch on. And then I want to get into a little riff about right-wing media and its role in all this. I'm particularly interested in hearing from our listeners in Minneapolis. One of our larger stations, KTNF, is right there in Minneapolis, St. Paul, and uh, AM 950. And your thoughts on what's going on. You look at times in our history, I've, you know, specifically even thinking of the American Revolution, when people felt like they were being oppressed, they were being killed, they were being, their lives were not being valued, and what did they do? They rose up. And if white people had been subject to regular police violence and killing and disproportionate imprisonment and job discrimination and all those kinds of things, year after year, decade after decade, don't you think that they would rise up, that they would raise hell? Oh yeah, that's right, they did in 1776. Anyhow, Jacob Frey, I think it's pronounced Frey, F-R-E-Y, the, the mayor of Minneapolis, has come out and said, these police officers, you know, I don't know why these guys aren't in jail. And it's like, yeah, I don't either. And maybe they will be today, we'll see. But Derek Chauvin, who is the uh, specific cop whose photo was taken a month or so ago when Donald Trump was in Minneapolis with Donald Trump, smiling together, oh yeah, MAGA hats and all. That guy, he has just hired Tom Kelly. Tom Kelly is the lawyer who represented police officer Euronimo Yanez, who was acquitted in the murder of Philando Castile back in uh, St. Paul, you know, right across the river back in 2017. Shouldn't be any big surprise there. The other thing, though, that I find particularly interesting, and again, you know, if you're in Minneapolis, I'd love to hear about this, if you have any insights into this, is this piece, uh, this is over on Raw Story by Gordon Green, and the headline, they want their civil war. Far-right boogaloo militants have embedded themselves in the George Floyd protests in Minneapolis. George Floyd, of course, the man who was killed. This police officer, Derek Chauvin, sat, this killer, Derek Chauvin sat with his knee on this guy's neck for what seems to be about seven minutes, long enough to cut off the blood to his brain and kill him. Now, in the meantime, we've got, and I'll get back to the boogaloo in just a minute. In the meantime, we've got Mayor Hal Marks of a town in Mississippi. 
I'm surprised, frankly, that the article doesn't name the town, but in any case, he came out and said, if you can say you can't breathe, you're breathing. Most likely that man died of a heart attack or an overdose. Police are being crucified. And a high school wrestling coach in Spanaway, Washington State, his name is Dave Hollenbeck, he posted a photo of himself smiling and giving a thumbs up signal while another person had their knee on the back of his neck. And his caption was, not dead yet. He said, I'm doing this for the area police officers. The media is a race baiting machine and I'm tired of it. Bethel School District is um, considering their thoughts about Coach Dave Hollenbeck. But what is particularly distressing or concerning, I think, frankly, you know, the Boogaloo thing is these right-wingers, these white right-wingers who are following on Tim McVeigh's lead. And Tim McVeigh obviously didn't start this stuff. This goes back to the Klan. I mean, this goes back, this goes all the way back, right? But this is the, the most modern version. This is, you know, this is Pepe the Frog reincarnated. And their logos are things like Hawaiian shirts, right? And I'll just share some pieces of uh, Jordan Green's piece, Special to Raw Story. When protests against the police killing of George Floyd escalated into clashes between police and protesters Tuesday night, a significant segment of the Boogaloo movement was electrified. At 8.38 p.m., on this one particular message board for these guys. It's called the Citizens Liberty Organization. He said, send help, and put the address of 3000 Minnehaha Avenue, which is the third precinct of the Minneapolis Police Department. And you know, police open fire on protesters, breaching precinct, not a drill. At 11.19, the Big Igloo Boys Facebook, B-O-I-S Facebook group, posted a photo of a young man holding the trademark Boogaloo flag depicting an igloo and a palm tree in the protest. He said, if, if ever there was a time for boys, B-O-I-S, to stand in solidarity with all free men and women in this country, it's now. In other words, let's, us white, racist guys who want a race war in America, let's join with those black protesters and really, really whip things up, essentially, or at least that's my, my interpretation of it. Benjamin Ryan Teeter of Hempstead in Southern North Carolina on his Facebook page, posted, lock and load, boys, boog flags are in the air, and the national network is going off. He's also active in the North Carolina Libertarian Party and has been leading, or has been participating, excuse me, in weekly armed excursions through downtown Raleigh. You know, Facebook is filled with these white supremacist hate groups. You know, it's just fine with Mark Zuckerberg, frankly. In fact, there's a piece, today's uh, popular.info, Judd Legum's newsletter, points out that the three senior executives at Facebook who are responsible for basically a lot of this stuff are all Republican operatives, that Mark Zuckerberg is, uh, you know, very happy sucking up to the Republicans. Anyhow, this guy, this is the Blue Igloo Facebook page. Boogaloo activists who showed up for the first night of protests on Tuesday met with mixed reaction. One, a white man identified on Facebook as Michael Solomon posted photographs of himself and another friend holding high-powered rifles while posing alongside black protesters. Anti-fascist Twitter accounts on Wednesday issued a steady stream of warnings. These are the folks who are opposed to the right-wing fascists showing up. They say, it's a right-wing thing, it's a neo-fascist thing, wrote Daryl Jenkins, a veteran anti-fascist organizer in New Jersey, on a Twitter video. He said, what they're trying to use, and they're trying to use what's happening in Minneapolis as a jump-off. Don't let them. They are not our friends.
He told Raw's story, Raw's story interviewed him. He said, they can be more aggressive and they can cause the police to be more aggressive. The people they hate get hurt and they walk away scot-free, so it's kind of a win-win for them. You know, I've told you many times the story of when I was in SDS in 1968 and we learned a decade later when we finally succeeded in suing the state police and getting their files that the one guy, and actually there were several who were kind of with him and we never figured out who, who exactly they were, but this one real high profile guy who was always showing up at our protests and was, you know, eventually, I believe, I, I know several ROTC buildings were burned around the United States. I don't recall if, if the one at MSU specifically was. I, I believe it was, but I could well be wrong. This is an old, old memory. But I remember this guy. I can see his face right in front of me right now. And he was the one who was always saying, let's go burn down the ROTC building. You know, death to the pigs. I mean, this was his shtick, right? And we later learned he was a police informant. Well, this isn't police informants. This is just, you know, right-wing guys who want to have a race war. Meanwhile, Donald Trump retweets a tweet where the guy says the only good Democrat is a dead Democrat. Seriously, honest to God. At the same time that, you know, Joe Biden is honoring 100,000 dead people, dead Americans, Donald Trump is retweeting this guy, uh, Coy Griffin, and Trump says, thank you, see you in New Mexico. Right. Welcome back, Tom Harvin here with you. As Minneapolis is burning, one of the uh, restaurants, uh, one of the business, the local businesses caught on fire is called uh, Gandhi Mahal. And they had, you know, put up a sign that said minority owned. And the owner, the guy who owns this, his name is Hafsa. Oh, this is his daughter. She says, as I'm sitting next to my dad watching the news, I hear him say on the phone, let my building burn. Justice needs to be served. Put those officers in jail. Meanwhile, Keith Ellison, the attorney general for the state of Minnesota, tweets on his private Twitter account. I just retweeted it. A picture of Umbrella Man, the white guy who's smashing the windows. And Keith Ellison says, this man doesn't look like any civil rights protester I've ever seen. Looks like a provocateur. Can anyone ID him? So, you know, here we are with all that. On the line with us right now is Trahern Cruz. Trahern is the national co-chair of the Green Party, but uh, perhaps more consequentially to this conversation, he's an organizer of Black Lives Matter who lives in St. Paul, uh, blacklivesmatter.com, and of course the Facebook Black Lives Matter Minneapolis, and his Twitter handle, Trahern, T-R-A-H-E-R-N, Cruz, C-R-E-W-S. Trahern, welcome to the program, and uh, thanks to our station KTNF in Minneapolis for connecting us. You live there. What's the backstory here? Let's start at the beginning. How has life been in Minneapolis and St. Paul all these years for people of color? And is this consequentially worse or better? I mean, what's going on? Well, first off, just a quick correction. I'm with Black Lives Matter Minnesota. Our uh, Minnesota. Facebook page is Black, Black Lives Matter Minnesota. But life in St. Paul has, in Minneapolis, has been, it's been rough. And you're seeing that with what happened to George Floyd, he was um, choked. The officer put his knee on his neck for eight agonizing, terrorizing minutes, which ultimately caused George Floyd's death. Before that, we had Jamar Clark. Just recently, my sister, her name is Delshia Perry, her son was found dead in Beltrami County Jail. They told us that he died in the officer's arms, but when we got the video back, we seen that they just neglected and abused him and let him lay on the floor for eight hours until he died. 
So they, the first story they came back with was that he died, but then they, when the video released, they just last week said that there has been uh, too many violations to count. So this is what people in Minnesota are facing, whether it's Jamar Clark, Marcus Golden, Thurman Blevins, Travis Jordan was having last year or maybe the year before in one month five people who had called the police and were having a mental health crisis got shot by the Minneapolis police. And they were all people of color. So it's, that's just with law enforcement. As far as our disparities in Minnesota, I'm pretty sure you know we have the biggest education gap in America. We have the biggest housing gaps in America. We have the biggest wealth gaps in, in America. We have the biggest health gaps here in St. Paul in America. They did a trash collection thing, which was ironic because it was going to make, it made our property taxes go up here in St. Paul. But the information they used, they said it was an um, issue of about disparities, but it actually made poor people's rents go up. But that data, they said it People of color are 120% more unemployed than whites in St. Paul, and then also with housing and figures and things like that. So when we talk about COVID-19, these are the underlining issues that they were talking about, why it's devastating the black community more, supposedly more than other communities, but it has a lot to do with racial and economic justice, too. Yeah, Absolutely. And what are you hearing from friends, colleagues, neighbors about what was happening downtown over the last couple of days in Minneapolis? I was flipping back and forth this morning between MSNBC and CNN, and it seemed like they were, even though, you know, this white guy with the black umbrella dressed all in ninja black, looking like all brand new clothes, by the way. The thing I remember from the 60s being in SDS was that the police provocateurs who used to try to infiltrate us, they always showed up with brand new clothes on. Uh, you know, like they just went yeah. out and bought some hippie clothes. And, you know, this guy looked like he was, you know, all brand new clothes. And they got a close up of his face finally toward the end. And he's clearly a white guy. And he's smashing these windows and things. Have you heard from anybody? I mean, what are you hearing that's going on? And, and to what extent do you think that that the actual, you know, lighting of fires and smashing of windows and stuff is being done by provocateurs rather than protesters? I would say, um, well, I think there's some is provocateurs. Like that guy, that guy is definitely a provocateur, but a provocateur could get things going, you know, so they might smash something and then the people who are actually out there protesting or some of these people who are, they're not actually what's happening right now is we have people who usually protest and they usually protest, but this has brought out a lot of different type of people, people who don't usually protest, but are angry about what happened. I do believe that there are provocateurs, especially I I got some calls about something that happened at the precinct last night. Oh, for something that I know that I seen, we were um, at where George was killed. There were people holding space there. So they had food, they had pizza. They're just out there peacefully gathering Mm -hmm. and mourning, mourning George Floyd. Then another group comes up. And then they start trying to just take over. But this is like, you can't really come and take over these people because they're like black community members and they're just there holding space and mourning George. And then another group came and tried to tell them what to do. So I do Hmm. think there is some, uh, 
yeah. you know, some provocateur type of behavior going on. But there is still general anger from the community. And then there are also community members who are upset and will uh, display that. Yeah, and, and with justification. I mean, this country was birthed in a, an act of vandalism called the Boston Tea Party, right. you know, where a million dollars worth of tea was destroyed. That's the thing we celebrate in this country. Yes, you know, we won't put up with this crap anymore. You know, the British cops right. killing people, you know, one of the first people, in fact, the first person that the British cops killed that, that arguably set off the whole thing was Christmas Atticus, a black guy, you know, in the Boston right. Massacre. I That's mean, it's right. like this... This is our history, damn it. We're talking with yeah. Trey Cruz, national co-chair of the Green Party and organizer of Black Lives Matter and, and uh, resident of St. Paul. You were going somewhere and I interrupted you. I'm sorry, Trey And then again, it just it goes into that, the economic piece. But people really want to see an arrest. They really want to see uh, yeah. the officers who killed uh, George Floyd arrested immediately. If anybody else would do that, they're like Freeman. Arguments are, we got to do an investigation, but, well, other people get arrested, and then uh, there's an investigation and things like that. So, I mean, they could can arrest him, and then they have 72 hours to charge you or whatever, right. things like that. Right. So, Yeah, that this is, I'm here. completely baffled. Well, you know, I mean, I'm not completely baffled. I know, you know, as a racist right. institution and district attorneys are desperately terrified of police and police unions and all that kind of, you know, I get all that. But still, yeah. I mean. It... Well, uh, just and so and that's why we're saying this. We're, it's not good enough just to fire them because we had that happen here in St. Paul where a guy let his dog, an officer let his dog loose on a the guy. They stumped his chest out. The city had to pay him $2 million, but the union was able to get his job back. And then the FBI stepped in. So we want to make sure that our local governments have the bandwidth to to deal with the police union. And to not, right. if, if uh, a chief of police makes a decision or if a mayor makes a decision and fires an officer for police misconduct, that that stands, especially in the case of loss of life. Yeah. Yeah, but right across the board. I mean, just, you know, terrorizing citizens should be a crime. Exactly. It should be, uh, whether it's a dog bite. Well, the National Guard is on the ground right now. It shouldn't be like this in an American city. Everybody should get, we should have equal protection under the law in this country. Um, It's not 400 years ago, it's 2020. And we hope that Governor Tim Walz... Mike Freeman can get justice for the family of George Floyd and everybody else who was victim of police terror in America. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Trey Hearn Cruz of the National Green Party and Black Lives Matter speaking about George Floyd's murder. Thank you, Trey Hearn. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good talking. Let's try Kenyatta in Los Angeles. Hey, Kenyatta, what's on your mind today? What is going on in the United States right now is a portent of things to come. Something wicked this way comes, Tom. You see. Specifically. Because you know the origins and the resultant pathology of policing in the United States. It is a direct result of putting down slave revolts or black people that decided they would not be called boy and and spat upon and so forth. That's exactly where it came from. 
and, and anybody can look that up. If you look at the various services in this country, it's a fire service. You're in the military. They say it's a service. But you talk about a police force. You see, it's always force. So while this country sits up and and wrings its hands about COVID-19, you see, in black communities, we have something called the blue plague. And it's existed forever. This cop saying to this guy something about, Get up if you can't get up, something like that. Well, let me tell you something. There's something that, that, that cops have been doing long before body cams, and it's called keep saying stop resisting, stop resisting. doesn't matter if the person handcuffed or detained is resisting. That is right. to cover their asses when the stuff goes down. Okay? So that's catch-all. And then I wanted to talk about things that come in threes. I keep seeing the media talk about, and and by the way, it wasn't that guy. He had a name. His name was George Floyd. And he kept saying, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Now it's these chants. They become uh, sensationalized by the media. But nobody talks about the other three words he kept saying. He kept saying, don't kill me. Don't kill me. You understand? We've got people now that have been cooped up for 90 days in Southern California almost. We've got triple-digit temperatures here now. You understand? This country is about to be in some stuff that it is not ready for. You heard it here first. Yeah. Well, I hope you're wrong, but my sense of it is that you're right, Kenyatta. And, you know, Can I, I say something, though, so. rather lighthearted? If I can, if it's possible. You have a minute. Yeah. Okay. You mentioned, and I know this about you, uh, you had spent some time at a police academy, and you know this about me. So have I. But I got to tell you something. It was funny you talking about this atrium. The police academy Mm -hmm. I went to was called the last high-stress police academy in the United States, and we ate lunch jogging in place for a half hour under baking 100-degree sun in Whittier. Whoa. That's that, that's quite different. That's quite different than rural Georgia. Kenyatta, great talking to you. Thank you very much for the call. And, uh, and you can check out Kenyatta's writings over at opednews.com, by the way. Tom Hartman here. Did you know that the Second Amendment was written to protect the slave patrols in South Carolina and Georgia back in the day? It's in my new book, The Hidden History of Guns and the Second Amendment. Check it out. Thanks so much. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. 
Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Mike in Lomita, California. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. You're talking about people stoking uh, insurrections. Remember also that in Rwanda, the big motivator seems to have been the use of hate radio to murder. Oh, it people. was. It absolutely was. And the guy who owned the station wasn't even in the country. In fact, I believe yeah. that the guy who owned the station that was promoting that just got arrested in the last couple of weeks. Some right. They found him in France. They arrested him? Yeah, in France. Yes, in Paris. Interesting. Okay. Well, thank you very much for the call. I appreciate it, Mike. Dan in uh, Kane, Pennsylvania. Hey, Dan, what's on your mind? Yes, sir. I just like to comment on the hatred that runs through this country. We don't teach in the schools the truth. We teach very little on slavery. We teach very little on uh, women's suffrage. We have no labor history. You can just go right on down the line, and it's until that's done, I don't think any of this is ever going to change. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Dan. Yeah, I was... Surprised isn't quite the right word, uh, pleasantly pleased, whatever. Years ago, I mean, you know, Louise and I have been married for a long, long time, but years and years ago, we got into a conversation about race and the depth of her knowledge just, which was way beyond mine, just shocked me. I mean, you know, she had read Cry the Beloved Country. She knew the history of race relations in the United States in ways that I didn't. She had read Malcolm X. She had read extensively the writings of Martin Luther King. She was very familiar with the Black Panthers. She had read either Huey Newton or Bobby Seale's book. And I'm like, whoa, how'd you know that? And a white person who had this level of insight. And she's like, we studied this at East Lansing High School, which, by the way, is a, if it wasn't entirely white, it was damn close to it. I mean, you know, it was where the kids of the people who worked at the university went to school, by and large. I mean, that was the major industry in East Lansing. She, she learned this in high school or junior high school, actually because they had black studies classes and they had them for several years in a row that you had to take these black studies classes as part of what you were doing. And it completely changed her understanding of race in America. And I completely agree with your point that we need to be teaching this in school rather than this, you know, Columbus discovered America when actually he was a rapist and a murderer and a slaver. And, uh, you know, we do, you know, we just need to be teaching civics. Robert in Grays Lake, Illinois. Hey, Robert, what's on your mind today? Uh, hi, Todd. I don't think I you know, would have to really get my persuasive skills up 
to make you realize, or maybe for you to agree that we are in, you know, dangerous, dangerous territory. And I think that actually what we're really seeing about is a second civil war. You know, I work on local politics with the local Democratic Party here, and I notice everybody's afraid to talk about that that could be a possibility. Now, would it be as, you know, ravaging as the first civil war? I don't know. But nonetheless, I think that that's, that, that is a legitimate conversation for the left and Democrats to have. But I think what is even more important and what really undergirds our capacity to defend ourselves against what the white nationalists is a really honest and candid conversation about how the founders gave us the power within the Second Amendment to protect ourselves. And just as the, our freedom was, was established through, through a revolution, they understood that. They understood that politics to converge to a point of, of violence. And that's why they gave us the Second Amendment. And I am appalled that, that the Democratic Party... Well, actually, that's Party not true, Robert. Did, the, the, the Second Amendment was written to preserve the slave patrols in the South. But yeah, no, I I'm not sure but, that necessarily but, blows up your argument. So continue. No, no, because, I, I mean, the, their moral basis for wanting the Second Amendment was to fight the, uh, the northern aggression. I'm, I'm just saying it's flipped now. Oh, and right now, yeah. the left is, is under pressure from, as you said, these white nationalists. When I, was, when I, used to, when I was 16 against the, and went to rallies against the war, the same kind of people you're talking about showed up. I had, when I was 16 years old, I had a guy pull open his jacket and brandish you know, a sidearm. And I was, like, stunned. And I later found out the guy was a cop. So I'm just saying that I think the, the Democratic Party on the left has got to have an intelligent, honest, candid, you know, understanding about what the Second Amendment is as a fundamental right of self-defense in this in this situation and where we're at. I mean, yeah, and, and well, that whole leave it at that. But Robert, I, I don't want to go any farther down that road. I it just thank you for sharing your perspective on that. Corky in Rochester, New York. Hey, Corky, what's up? Tom, you know how I'd like to extrapolate. I watched that video of that man on the ground, and there's yeah. a cop standing over him saying, get up, get up. You got, your knee is on his neck. Right, and the cop is saying that for his body camera because he knows that his body camera shoots straight forward, and he's sitting up erect, or at least this is my opinion, he's sitting up erect, so his body camera is showing, is not showing the guy on the ground, but it is recording the audio. And that's why the cop is saying, well, why don't you get up in the car? And, and, you know, I mean, he's saying that for the benefit of the body camera. I don't think that cop realized he was being videoed. And, you know, this is the thing. I mean, you've, you, police killings of black men in the United States are, are epidemic and have been forever. And, you know, thank God we now have cell phone videos. And, you know, for the last few years, we've been starting to see these things. And white people in this country are starting to realize, they're starting to have some empathy. They're starting to realize, you know, what's really going on. Before that, it was always possible to do like, you know, with Michael Brown. Oh, yeah, he was shoplifting or he was a terrible person or he was smoking pot yesterday or, you know, some other yeah. BS that in the minds of white racists justifies murdering black men. But I really think things are changing. I think we are looking at a new day in America. Um, I'll tell you, my black doctor saved my life when I was a baby. And my kids were never allowed to use that derogatory language in my house or their friends. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good on you, Corky. I mean, you know, step by step, whatever it takes. 
Florida, it turns out, by the way, is hiding their medical deaths. We'll stick around. On the science revolution this week, what can we learn from a 17% drop in greenhouse gas emissions during the coronavirus? The president of Mercy for Animals, Leah Garces, drops by about the millions of animals that will be culled by suffocation, drowning, and shooting. She's concerned about the inhumane way we're dealing with the closure of meat plants, and so am I. Author and professor Seth Abramson is here about why Trump says he's taking dangerous drugs during the pandemic and how much money he might be making doing it. The Sierra Club's Ben Cushing is talking to me about the banks being under fire for fossil fuel financing. When will it end? Find The Science Revolution wherever you get great podcasts. Luann in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Luann, what's on your mind? Hello. I wanted to talk about the police. I think part of the problem, they're always talking about training, and training is very important. But I think that the problem goes back further. I've worked in the criminal justice system for years, and my father was a policeman, and my husband was a correctional officer, and so I'm very familiar with it. And I think the problem, the basic problem, is the hiring, that they don't have good criteria for hiring. I have seen so many police that just could not think well enough for the job and the responsibility that they have. They're somehow, they're, they're making some kind of terrible mistake in their recruitment. And I think one of the things that needs to be done is that they need to be paid a much higher salary to attract people who are, are just more intelligent and more educated. Well, you don't have to be educated to be a good policeman, but that have more knowledge of the world. And if you have better pay, then you can recruit better individuals. You know, people don't want to risk their lives for paltry pay. But the basic thing is they need to change their criteria because I have run into so many police that were really disappointing. Now that, I mean, there's some good police too, but you just wonder, you just wonder mm-hmm. why they're choosing these people. Yeah. Luann, I used to think that too. And then I went through the Georgia Police Academy and I think it was 1998, the year that the Olympics came to Atlanta. I was writing a novel about a private detective and a friend of mine was a private detective, a DeWitt Wanamaker. And the Georgia Police Academy for the first time in its 130 year history opened itself to civilians to get training. It was kind of a mini course. It was like a little six week course, uh, you know, shorter than the regular how to become a police officer course for people who were gonna do security for the Olympics in Atlanta because they didn't have enough cops. And so I went through this course and about three quarters of the people who were there, I mean, we were just plugged into the normal training program. So three quarters, four fifths of the people who were there were guys who were trying to get certification to become a, you know, a, a police officer in a small town in, you know, in Georgia, basically, or in some cases, big cities. But, you know, some of the big cities have their own police academies. I'm not sure about Georgia, but in any case, what I got from that and, and what I got from the year that we lived in Germany 
and I had a couple of interactions with the police. It turns out it's illegal to leave your car unlocked in Germany. <laughs> and, and, and twice I got busted for that. Was that it's not, it's not so much the pay. I mean, there's, there's cops in the United States who are making over 100 grand a year when you include overtime in particular in some of the big cities. The pay can be very good. The benefits package can be very, very good. The pension, the retirement is all very good. There are some police departments that require a bachelor's degree to get in. You know, they tend to be better police departments. But I think the big problem is that policing in the United States is done in a way that is similar to that of authoritarian governments around the world and not the way that policing is done in the more advanced democracies, the way that policing is done in Taiwan or South Korea, Germany or France or Denmark or Norway, where the police are respected and the police respect the citizens. And this is reflected in our culture. It's reflected in our television programs. It's reflected right now in our president telling cops to rough up people who have not been convicted of a crime. And a lot of this goes back to slavery, frankly. It goes back to you know, having an underclass, a marginalized underclass that was easily identified by their appearance that were terrorized. We had a police state in this country for 200 years, literally a police state. It's the only way you can maintain slavery. So I think that the, the change that needs to happen is not just hiring better cops or hiring you know, better people, more thoughtful people, and it's not just paying them better or having higher educational standards. We need to rethink policing. We need to re-understand, we need to re, yeah, understand differently what policing is. We, you know, that, that old idealized you know, Andy of Mayberry, I mean, that, that is good policing. That, and, and, and that still exists in many parts of America even in some big cities, you know, at least to some extent. But the problem is that because of the culture of policing in the United States, and this is, this is what I saw, you know, when DeWitt and I were going through the police academy, we were having lunch one day and there was a bunch of cops who were drilling. They were marching up and down in the atrium. There's a giant atrium in the Georgia Police Academy where the, the dining room is there and then there's this big area where they, they drill because the police are paramilitary. And it's covered, you know, in case of rain and things. And I said to DeWitt, you know, how much do these guys make when they graduate? You know, and he's like, oh, I don't know, 25, 30,000 bucks a year, whatever he said. Keep in mind, this was 30 years ago. And I said, wow, you couldn't get somebody to shoot at me for that amount of money. He said, are you kidding? He said, a third of those guys, if you give them a club and the right to beat the crap out of anybody they want, they'd do it for free. And that was my experience. There was about a third of the guys who were in my class who were, you know, really good guys. You know, not Dudley Do-Rights, but, you know, Andy and Mayberry types. You know, people who really wanted to be, and most of them were from small towns, actually, in Georgia. And many of them were people of color. About a third of the guys in my class were there because they wanted a good pension and a good, safe, reliable job. Keep in mind, the top 10 most dangerous jobs in America do not include policing. Number one is roofers. More roofers die on the job than anything else. Garbage men die on the job more frequently than cops do. So they were just looking for a good, safe job, you know, with a good pension. And the remaining third were those people that DeWitt identified as the guys who, if they had the legal, you know, under color of law, they could beat the crap out of people, or in the case of this guy in Minneapolis, murder people. They jumped at the opportunity. And that's where we need to change, Luann. We need to change the culture, our entire culture, because policing is a reflection of our entire culture, and our entire culture is still stuck in the era of the slave patrols. It's still stuck in the area of an overclass and an underclass. It's still stuck in the area of us and them, or me and them. And we need to have an us.
You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. And that's one of, the, one of the reasons that I thought it was such a monumental thing when the mayor of Minneapolis came out and said, I can't figure out why these guys are not in jail. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. So every week we do a special video. It's available over at TomHartman.com. And this week I'm talking about the relationship between Donald Trump and Fox News. Trump's recent uh, liberate these states with Democratic governors tweets, which seem to be actually calling for like armed revolt or asking, you know, his, his crazy followers to, you know, let's send some pipe bombs or something like one already has to Democrats. He did that two minutes after watching a Fox News segment basically saying the same thing. Fox News is programming the brain of the president, and their programming was you know, basically developed by Roger Ailes to infuriate people. You know, the, This outrage as a way of holding people so that they can sell advertising. Over at TomHartman.com, check it out. Thanks so much. Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you. Nancy in Elkhart, Indiana. Hey, Nancy, what's on your mind today? Mm, hey, Tom. I am, um, when you talked about Louise uh, in school, I am, um, mm-hmm. I never thought I'd be one of the old folks, but I'm so glad I still think like I did when I was in college. In Michigan, at that time, I went to Western. What we had to do in elementary was we had to take black studies to teach elementary. Now, that was a long time Hmm. ago, but it was so necessary because that was the time there were the race riots as we could see them. And our professors said, it's going to be up to you, quote, young folks, because we we have to change things because just like you've said on your program, it takes something always violent to change our country. And it does take a long time, I guess. And I'd like to see, I'd like your opinion. You know how that phrase is, who you are is where you were when? That's mm-hmm. kind of what I think happened. And again, I, again, because us old folks now, we're the ones who were growing up when Johnson had passed the, you know, when they were doing the things, what they call like, Equal Rights Amendment, I guess that was it. Right. Civil um, Rights Act, the Voting Rights yeah, Act. Yeah, Civil Rights. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we grew up and we knew about all that. But I'd like you to kind of yeah. talk about that with uh, who, was, who was making laws. Yeah. You know, I, again, I, it kind of goes back to that riff that, that I did a little bit ago about policing, that yes. it's, it's not just the, the problem is not a problem of our police. The problem is a problem of our larger culture, that we are still stuck in this slave patrol culture. In this, and in fact, we still have, you know, Confederate traitors whose statues are in the Capitol building, for God's mm-hmm. sake. And it's... Well, we it's, never went... I'm, so, I'm sorry. Well, I was never in ahead. school with any black kids in my age. But when I yeah. grew... I mean, when I became a teacher, we had black students with us. And mm-hmm. remember the busing, you know, because of busing, everybody just, you know, went haywire. 
but it did change. It did change some things, but look how slowly it did. But it's still so we're so still so racist. And when I talk to younger people that are now adults, my 50 year old children, they don't understand it. And they don't understand how our culture is still so racist and nothing is going to get good. Right. Even the even the virus until our country yeah. believes that we are wrong. Well, the millennial generation is the most awakened to these issues of any generation in my lifetime. And, I hope so. And certainly, you know, my parents' generation of white people were completely oblivious to this stuff. And we yes. were just starting to be exposed to it, you know, with like Louise's Black Studies class in what was probably mm-hmm. 1963 or 64. And I think we're all going through an educational process as a country now. And frankly, I think that that's a good thing, but you know, step by step. Nancy, thank you for the call. I got to move along. Mark in Dana Point, California. Hey, Mark, what's up? Yeah, hi, Tom. You know, the consciousness of our culture has changed. I mean, the police cars used to all say protect and serve. They don't say that anymore. The uh, congressmen are supposed to be our representatives. Now they think they're our leaders. It's tyrannical. It's changed. And uh, that's all I really wanted to say. No, and and you've identified these, you know, very, very real problems. Thank you, Mark. Uh, Absolutely. Let's see here. Pam in Chicago. Hey, Pam, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Tom, I just wanted to talk about COVID-19. And if I may mention something about race, but I'll I'll go here first. Tom, We we just have about a minute and a half, Pam, FYI. Okay, I'll, I'll be quick. I'll be quick. Trump botched this entire COVID, and he's responsible for me, not the pandemic, but for death. And I don't know if we can course correct with the reopening. So I'm asking everybody to be careful, Tom, because there, for me, is no safe reopening. That's just kind of propaganda. You do the best you can, but we still will be putting ourselves at risk, as well as our children and loved ones, when we try to reopen. I would add, though, Pam, If we all wore masks like they do in Japan, Mm -hmm. and if we did contact tracing and isolation of people who are infectious and don't realize it, which is apparently about 40% of all the people who are carrying this virus, then we could so radically cut this transmission that we could end up like Australia with no, no new cases. New Zealand, they literally don't even have a person in the hospital. And sure. Taiwan, South Korea, uh, South Korea has fewer than 300 dead people. Taiwan has fewer than 20. We could do that, but we don't have the leadership for it. Right, because that's a big if. And Tom, I'm intrigued with you and Louise. I don't know if you have a biography, but just with your relationship and how you all made decisions together. But then also as it relates to race, I would just encourage Tom, you know, read some of the black scholars, and I'm talking about for your audience. Read some of the beautiful writings and well-researched writings of some of our black scholars. And I think that will help as well. Uh, because bottom line is, it's not about the black, it's not how you treat the black person you know. It's about how you think and treat the black people that you don't know. Sure. And the Who would be at the top group. of your reading list, Pam? Oh, gosh, Tom. Uh, I love John Henry Clark. Okay. Uh, Lerone Bennett, Dr. Lerone Bennett, before the Mayflower, forced into glory. Dr. Ben Yokenan, Dr. Asa Hillier. I mean, just so many. Tom, Black Scholar, Dr. Sheikh Dia Anka. I mean, just so many. Dr. Sheikh Anka Dia. Excuse me. Okay, I'm making notes. Uh, Pam, yes, Pam, I got to run. Thank you. Out. Thanks. Thank, thank you for your uh, continuing commitment to my education. <laughs> <laughs> 
I appreciate it. It's always nice to hear from you. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today is Jailbreak Out of History by Butch Lee. Uh, This is from the first chapter, Jailbreak Out of History, Harriet. Focus on Amazons, about why we deal with real women as myths, girls who never really existed. Yet and again, all are around us and that we can't bring ourselves to see. Because seeing through white men's eyes is about non-vision of ourselves. So let's deal with a real Amazon. Think about Harry and Tubman. Take six months. In fact, take a year and think. Break it on down. What does it mean to be the most famous new African woman in U.S. history? What does it mean to be stuck in that lie? What's the meaning of being famous while being hidden and disfigured and dissed? Let's jailbreak Harriet Tubman out of white history and place her in Amazon and new African her story. Her story, her people's story. Harriet Tubman's life is a live weapon placed in our minds, showing us what it means to be an Amazon, which is why the capitalist patriarchy has forbidden us to touch on it for so long. In this, maybe for the first time, we can see Amazons as a future force in a clash of peoples and nations. Not as myths, but as players in the whole difficult course of world politics. We can also appreciate the bittersweet tang of reality as the peeling away of layers of propaganda and disfigurement which have hidden Harriet from us, exposes how much we assume and how little we have known. New African women have already pointed out the significant pattern of Harriet's exclusion. Cultural critic Bell Hooks said recently, I mean, if we could recover Ida B. Wells and Harriet Tubman to the extent that we've recovered, say, Zora Neale Hurston, I think that's an important contrast because people want to bury that revolutionary black female history. Her story in Deborah Gray White connects Harriet's treatment to a larger pattern in the mainstream history of slavery, in which black women, quote, were reduced to insignificance and largely ignored, end quote. In examining the influential historian Stanley Elkins, she points out, quote, that Elkins seems to omit women altogether was accentuated by his description of slaves, whom he identified as part of an American underground, those who never succumbed to Samboism. Among those mentioned were Gabriel, who led the revolt of 1820, Denmark Vesey, leading spirit of the 1822 plot at Charleston, and Nat Turner, an omission conspicuous by its absence, was Harriet Tubman. If Elkins had really been thinking of slaves of both sexes, he would hardly have forgotten this woman, who became widely known as the Moses of her people. End of quote. Patriarchal capitalisms, which only want Amazons to be exotic myths about forgotten ages, have hidden Harriet Tubman in her own fame. They both trivialize and exceptionalize her. These are tools of oppressor culture. The stripped-down and censored version of her life is told in elementary schools all over the U.S. empire. So much so that everyone thinks they know her story already, although they don't. Harriet Tubman was born in slavery in Maryland around 1820. She escaped to the North when she was 29, but kept returning secretly to the South again and again to help other slaves escape. For this, she became known as Moses. True statements. But by limiting her, it becomes clever propaganda against her and against her people. Where patriarchy has been unable to deny that women do significant things, it denies the full meaning of what we do by trivializing them. Mary Daly, feminist philosopher, traces the enormity of what patriarchy has done to us. In ancient Greece, the goddess Hecate, also known as Artemis and Diana, was sometimes known as Trivia and represented by a three-faced statue. That was also the name used for the intersection of three paths, which in many old cultures were the sites of mystical 
power. She writes in Gynecology, quote, in light of the cosmic significance of the term trivia as the crossing of the three roads and of the goddess who bears this name, contemporary meaning of the term in English should be examined. The English term, which according to Merriam-Webster is derived from the Latin trivium or crossroads, is defined as common, ordinary, commonplace, of little worth or importance, insignificant, flimsy, minor, or slight. Of course, according to patriarchal values, that which is commonplace is of little worth. For in a competitive hierarchical society, scarcity is intrinsic to worth. Thus, gold is more important than fresh air, and consequently, we are forced to live in a world in which gold is easier to find than pure air." End quote. So to trivialize Harriet Tubman, the capitalist patriarchy pictures her as an idealized woman by their definition, who makes a life of helping others. Thus, her deeds are squeezed into women's assigned maternal role as nurturer, helper, and rescuer of men who then go on to do important things. But Harriet wasn't repping Mother Teresa. She wasn't even any kind of civilian at all. She was a combatant, a guerrilla, a warrior carrying pistol and rifle, fighting in her people's long war for freedom, a war that rocked the foundations of American society and that has never gone away. Think about what it means to be called Moses, which was the code name other new Africans gave her, and which became Harriet's famous warrior name in the anti-slavery underground. When we check out the Bible, we can see that Moses was a ruthless visionary, someone who forced the boldest changes and risks upon his people so that they could survive, who led them out of captivity. To put it simply, Moses was a leader in a time of war. So too was Harriet Tubman. The book, Jailbreak Out of History by Butch Lee. Welcome back. Rebecca in uh, St. Michael, Minnesota. Hey, Rebecca, what's up? Hi, I'm calling from Minnesota with more clarification of the brutal murder of Mr. Floyd. It was actually a gang of police. The video that was released to the media showed one cop with a knee on his neck. Around the other side of the car was actually two more officers. He was handcuffed, laying on his stomach. One officer had his knee at his feet. Another officer had a knee at his thighs. And we saw the officer with the knee at the neck. And the uh, fourth officer patrolled the sidewalk to keep people from interfering with the killing. Has that gang of cops been arrested yet, Rebecca? No, they haven't. And the four of them were fired. They are not on administrative leave. Right. And, And they have not been arrested. The local police say that what they will be doing is they want to see all the video that was taken that night, and they want to speak with all of the witnesses, and they want an autopsy report before they will make any further decisions. Now, if that was you or Don't I... Don't we typically arrest people when there's evidence of a murder and then investigate it? I mean, you know, when, yeah. it's, when it's right out in plain sight? I, I don't yeah. get why these guys are still walking around loose. I, I don't either. What am I missing? And there's, I don't know. And there's four of them three accessory to murder, and one murderer. So there's four of them, not one of them. And now the protesters are holding the cop with the knee on the neck hostage in his house because they've basically Mm -hmm. surrounded it. 
And um, even food delivery, people are turning away because once they get there, they realize where they've come, and they aren't there to go in there, so they aren't able to get any food delivered or anything. I don't know if the guy's married or anything. Now, I, I was watching TV, and a news report came on, special news programming, and a peaceful protester on the sidelines was shot and killed. They found him laying on his back from a bullet, and they do have a suspect in custody for that. But that's all the news that was told. This yeah, whole thing started, been, uh, he went, Mr. Floyd went into a grocery store and wrote a check, and for some reason the cashier thought that he was forging it or that it was a bad check, so she called the police. He was in the car with two other men of the same color, or I think it was men, it was two other people. Those people were allowed to just get out of the car and leave. They told him to get out of the car, handcuffed him, threw him to the ground, and that's how they held him down and killed him, just like that. Yeah. Yeah, this yeah. was an execution, so, I mean, also known as a lynching. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You said it. I wanted to. Yep. It was a brutal murder, and that's exactly what's going on, what we know. And everyone's talking about one officer. Three officers held that man down in handcuffs as he begged right, and a, and a for fourth, them not to kill and him and then the told perimeter. him he couldn't breathe. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and if four people walk into a bank and one of them shoots a teller, typically all four of them are charged with murder. I, you know, it's definitely uh, it, maybe I'm missing some subtle distinction in the law here, but I don't think so. Exactly. Rebecca, thank four you for the call. police officers and, and they had their cameras on. Supposedly, that's what I've heard is they did have their right. cameras on. I mean, they did this. Just because they can? Yep. Well, not just because they can, apparently because they enjoy doing this kind of thing. You know, it's, a, it's an assertion of power. And it's a sickness among some of our police across the United States. And that is a function of, as Kenyatta said, and as I said, the fact that policing in the United States grew out of the slave patrols. And in Europe, most of the policing came from a very, very different place. And literally, you know, cops in Europe are there to serve. Cops here are there to enforce, as it were. Rebecca, thank you for the call. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Did you know that Ronald Reagan committed treason to become president in 1980 and George Herbert Walker Bush was in on it and he avoided being prosecuted for this in 1992 with a little help from Bill Barr? It's on page 116 of my book, The Hidden History of the Supreme Court and the Betrayal of America. Welcome back. Tom Harvin here with you. Minneapolis police officer and, in my opinion, murderer who's apparently killed before, Derek Chauvin, has been arrested in the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, according to the public safety commissioner, John Harrington announced by Minnesota Public Radio, among others. What about the other three cops? This was not something that was done by one rogue officer. This was a gang. This was a four-man gang who worked together to murder George Floyd. These men are killers. And I thought in this country we brought killers to justice. I, you know, I thought that was the point. Peter in Lawton, Oklahoma. Hey, Peter, what's up? Hi, this sad days for America. I I'm, I'm going to make this short after what this lady said. You remember the Selma marches and black and white TV we as kids watching the protesters go across the bridge yep. on TV? My dad pointed that at me and he said, son, 
America will not be destroyed by the commies. He said it will be destroyed by some idiot starting a race war. And I'm beginning to believe that's what's happening today. We've got too many idiots. Yeah, and that idiot's in the White House right there. now. And then, yes. Yeah. And you know what? Did you see, I read this morning where uh, he put out there, well, we need to kill Democrats. You know, he got that from some wannabe cowboy down there in uh, Well, and this, and this, and this cop who killed, who killed George Floyd was taken, had his picture taken with, with Donald Trump a few weeks ago wearing a T-shirt that said cops for Trump. I saw that. And then now the right says, well, that's a different person. Now they're saying that's a different person. I've seen that also. Oh, well, okay, uh, that, that I, may be the case. But, I, I can't assert it with absolute certainty. I did, you know, I saw it. The, 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 the Republicans are the treacherous. They're treacherous. Uh, they're even weaponizing uh, uh, the COVID. Uh, the state uh, legislators over there in Pennsylvania, they were, they were meeting with Democrats knowing they had the virus. But didn't say a yeah, word it was about one it. particular guy, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he had yeah, so, he had told the Republicans that he was you. symptomatic and then he went and hung out with the Democrats. I this is this is bizarre. Peter, thank you for the call. Thanks so much for being with us today. Please be good to yourself and people around you. We we all need to uh, we need to wake up, we need to share our stories, we need to share our outrage, we need to do something about these police killings. We've been saying that for the sixteen years I've been doing this show. But in, in this particular time, where we're all locked in and we're all starting to feel, shall we say, a little on edge, let's put some special care into taking care of ourselves and those around us. And those who are not around us, caring for those who are hurt. Tag You've been it. listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.